97.1 FM, The Drive presents the Behind the Song podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. This is the story of a song written by a boy who died too young. A song so steeped in melody that it could almost be a nursery rhyme. A song that you don't so much listen to as become enveloped in as it progresses, down to the last time the mantra at the end is repeated. A song that gives us fans a glimpse of what could have been coming next, musically, from an artist who changed the landscape of rock and roll and was the star of an entire generation, had his life not ended at 27 years old. All Apologies by Nirvana, written by Kurt Cobain and released on the band's third and final studio album in utero in 1993, remains a haunting reminder of Cobain's tragic end and a creative high-water mark from a talent that so frustratingly left the world too soon. If you like this episode, don't forget to give it a like at the end and hit that subscribe button. When I say that Kurt Cobain was the star of an entire generation, I mean he turned a generation on its ear with his band. Nothing sounded like Nirvana. Not on the radio, not on MTV, not anywhere. And this had to do with Kurt Cobain's ability to marry his love of the Beatles, the melodies of the Fab Four that so heavily influenced him, with his love of classic hard rock bands like Led Zeppelin, ACDC, and KISS. Add to that the punk rock that became so important to Generation X, from The Clash to Bad Brains, along with a pinch of garage rock from bands like The Stooges, and you had something that was completely unique musically when Nirvana molded their sound from all of those influences. They changed rock and roll led by an artist who was sensitive, frail, sarcastic, righteous, addicted, and beautiful. And as it proved out, the world was ready for Kurt Cobain, even if he wasn't. Born in one of the cloudiest, gloomiest places in America, in Aberdeen, Washington, he struggled as a child after his working-class parents divorced, leading to him acting out behaviorally and eventually getting into trouble with the local authorities for vandalism and other petty crimes. He dropped out of high school just before graduating and worked odd jobs to make ends meet, a kid on a road to nowhere. But he had learned to play the guitar given to him by an uncle a few years before. And between his lifelong attention to creating visual art, drawing and painting, and his surprising ability to write melodies and songs. He had an outlet for all his frustrations. He started hanging out in the nearby music mecca of Olympia, Washington, and playing with bassist Chris Novoselic around the time he dropped out of high school. And they formed Nirvana with the addition of Chad Channing on drums. It was this trio that released Nirvana's first album, Bleach, on Seattle's Sub Pop Records in 1989. But shortly afterward, Channing was fired from the band and Dave Grohl was brought on as the new drummer, ushering in a new era for Nirvana that would make them worldwide mainstream rock stars and their frontman the very unwilling spokesmodel for the grunge era. 
The Nevermind album was released in 1991, and its success was so meteoric that it not only paved the way for other rock bands from Seattle to hit the mainstream charts, it also opened Nirvana's audience up to fans who didn't always align with Cobain's progressive ideals, particularly his pro-feminist and pro-LGBTQ positions. And he found himself at odds with the increasing crowds of beer-swilling frat boys who were suddenly staring back at him from the stage, night after night. So he began to withdraw from the idea that being a rock star was cool. And he began to go deeper and deeper into using drugs to numb the pain he felt from having so much good luck with his career while absolutely hating where he had landed. And also from the stomach ulcers and digestive issues that plagued him all his life. Heroin became his crutch and probably exacerbated his stomach ailments even more, but he was hooked, and that was that. During all of this, Cobain married Courtney Love in Hawaii in February of 1992, and their daughter, Frances Bean, was born in August of that year. Theirs was a rocky relationship, doomed from the start by their shared drug use, but in love... Cobain had a kind of shield from the world. She was brash, loud, she had strong opinions, and she was smart. And she was in a rock band, and she knew everything about the rock business. With her, he could hide for a while from the world. Which makes sense from a person who named his band Nirvana, a Buddhist state of transcendence where there is no suffering or desire or even sense of self free from the cycle of life or death. Heavy stuff for a kid from Aberdeen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so it's interesting that the final song on Nirvana's third and final album was written or at least begun back in 1990, when the band were still living in Olympia, just before all the success came and before Cobain married Love. Even though he later dedicated the song to Love and their daughter Frances at a performance in England. It is Kurt Cobain's Hey Jude a song in which the melody came first, a melody that breaks your heart while also somehow seeming weirdly uplifting, a shining example of its writer's light and dark sides all at once. The melody reportedly always came first for Kurt Cobain. And then the lyrics to All Apologies starts like this. What else should I be? All Apologies. What else should I say? Everyone is gay. What else could I write? I don't have the right. What else should I be? All apologies. And then the chorus. In the sun, in the sun I feel as one. In the sun, I'm married, buried. Written 
or at least begun before his marriage to love. Cobain said in the first verse there, I'm married, buried. He also said in that first verse that everyone is gay and that he didn't have the right to write the songs that he was writing, when of course he did have the right to create songs and to be okay with people loving who they love. And in the chorus, he sings that in the sun, he feels as one. And we remember that he grew up in the cloudiest place in the United States, where the sun was something you didn't see too much, and how much you might want to escape from those dark, cloudy days and the shame of being a high school dropout from a broken home with no prospects. A sensitive artist boy, mad at the world he was born into, escaping into the sun in his own song. And it goes on. And this next verse is peak Kurt Cobain. I wish I was like you, easily amused. Find my nest of salt. Everything is my fault. I'll take all the blame. Aqua seafoam shame. Sunburn with freezer burn. Choking on the ashes of her enemy. And the chorus repeats. And then this mantra is chanted over and over at the end of the song. All in all is all we all are. When Cobain sang, I wish I was like you, easily amused, I think he meant that. There's a saying in old circles that goes, the Lord takes care of the ignorant, meaning there is a burden on people who think too much. And from his songs, we can infer that Cobain's life would have been a little easier were it not for his overactive brain. The next line, find my nest of salt, is interesting in that salt is something that no home is without. A weird way of saying that he's looking for a home. But as is often the case with Cobain lyrics, they sound like something else when he sang them. His lyrics were so often misheard. It sounds like he's singing feminist assault instead of found my nest of salt, which would speak to his feelings about how women shouldn't put up with any mistreatment. Although those aren't the words written, they sure sound like it. Mishearing it that way also ties in with the last line of the verse when he sang choking on the ashes of her enemy. The key lines in this verse, though, are everything's my fault and I'll take all the blame, followed by the nonsensical aqua seafoam shame. Three words that mean nothing, but sound somewhat like he's singing, I'll concede for shame. And shame was a problem for Cobain. It's a problem for anyone who grows up poor and different. Sunburn with freezer burn in that verse, a stark example of hot and cold. No in-betweens, just the frustrating extremes of being Kurt Cobain. Even the last line that's sung over and over at the end of the song can be heard as something else when Cobain sang it. All in all is all we all are turns into all we are is all alone so haunting in our ears as the song ends. 
And we have no reason to think that he didn't believe he was all alone in a world that gave him so much, but that in the end, he just couldn't abide. All Apologies was released on In Utero in September of 1993. And the band performed an acoustic version at their MTV Unplugged performance in New York City that November. An unforgettable performance with the stage filled with candles and stargazer lilies at Cobain's request. A wholly different imagining of the band's music. It looked like a funeral, and in a way it was. Just a few months later, Cobain skipped out on yet another rehab stint, this time in Los Angeles, caught a plane home to Seattle, and was found dead there by an electrician hired to install a security system of an apparent suicide with a shotgun wound to the head on April 5th of 1994. It shocked the world. Kurt Cobain became a member of the doomed 27 Club, along with Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison. A final escape into Nirvana much too soon. Many say that the final song on an artist's album is an indication of where they were planning to go next creatively, which bears out time and time again on so many great albums. If All Apologies is any clue, we fans would have had so much in store from Nirvana, a quieter, more melodic batch of timeless songs that pierce the heart. Or maybe Kurt Cobain would have given up on music for a while, and focused his energies on his daughter and his health, spent his time painting and drawing out of the limelight, which he found so uncomfortable, escaping from all that somewhere in the sun. Just like in the song, No Apologies Necessary. I'm Janda, and this has been Behind the Song. Special thanks, as always, to Christian Lane for the music you hear on these podcast episodes. If you like it, give it a thumbs up, hit subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can also watch these videos on the Behind the Song Podcast TikTok channel and on the way, much more classic rock and roll.